Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kevin Eastman panel. Give yourselves a hand. Exactly. Give this man a hand. Ming, Ming Chen and I, Mike Zapsik, uh, are honored to be the moderators here, and uh, we'll, we'll open the floor to questions in a minute. But first, I, I think I should give this gentleman a brief um, bio and introduction. Uh, Kevin Eastman is largely responsible for pretty much the entire indie comic scene. Uh, I don't think that's going too far. Uh, back in... The early 80s, he came out with a book you might or might not have heard of called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, with Peter Laird. And uh, they revolutionized what would be um, pretty much everything that you know about comics now. They, uh, they incorporated the Turtles' origins with Daredevil, which no one had ever thought to do before. You know, one specific event... Also has Fallout. So, go figure. Um, I uh, didn't start reading until a little bit later. I had heard all the buzz. Uh, the comic scene back in the 80s was ghastly before the direct market. Um, you had to get your comics off spinning racks at 7-Elevens where I came from. So, uh, back issues, not really uh, prevalent. So, um, but let's, um, let's actually talk to Mr. Eastman himself. Um, hold on. I'm my, my iPad's jumping around cause of, you know, Canada. Um, <laughs> Blame Canada. I'm blaming Canada. That's yeah. everybody. Oh yeah. I love Canada. You guys are great. It's jumping around cause, uh, it tells me where I want to go. It knows me better than I know myself. So, um, Kevin, um, what was the inspiration behind the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit of the mindset. Well, first, uh, thank you guys for all uh, coming to this uh, this panel. Um, we really appreciate you coming here. We've had, this is the first time my wife and I have been up to uh, Niagara Falls show, and we've just had the best time ever. You guys are awesome. We really appreciate you coming, and we've had um, just, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny. I always like to say I can't believe it's been 30 years. Actually, the Turtles celebrated 30 years, uh, the 30th anniversary, May 5th of this month. And the fact that I'm here 30 years later still talking about Turtles is not only mind-blowing, but I'm going to blame it all on you guys. So Canada, without you right? guys, <laughs> um, I would not be here. I would not have the greatest job ever. And I really appreciate all your support and your love and, and uh, the love of the Turtles because it's it allowed me to live a dream that I, I never – well, actually, I imagined it a lot when I was a kid. When I was, like he said, uh, buying comics off a of spinner rack, I used to have a paper route, and uh, I would save up my $3 a month and go buy Jack Kirby Commandy comics, and all my comic books are 20 cents apiece. Yes, as I adjust my depends. Yes, it was a long time ago. Um, but that was what uh, what inspired me, and I always like to say that um, both for both Peter and I, that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And what I mean by that is it was guys like – Wally Wood, Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, um, you know, so many others, Steve Ditko, um, the guys that were drawing comics that changed the face of the industry that inspired us to draw. That was, you know, when I was a kid, and Peter for the most part, um, all we wanted to be was Jack Kirby, to write and draw our own stories. And so that was what pick, got me to pick up the pencil and start drawing. And, uh, um, you know, I, I just remember 
countless nights staying up way past curfew time on school nights, drawing until three, and to be a cartoonist when I grew up, and they were afraid I was going to be living in the basement for the rest of my life. <laughs> and uh, uh, and the fact that I actually got to do that for a living thanks to the turtles um, is pretty amazing. Um, Besides the inspirations like Jack Kirby and things that uh, I had when I was younger, one of my big inspirations was a fellow Canadian named Dave Sim. Um, I loved underground comics. I read, you know, Robert Crumb, Richard Corbin, Vaughn Bodie, but Dave Sim, along with uh, people like Wendy and Richard Peeney, who started uh, ElfQuest, um, Dave Sim started this new self-publishing movement in the late 70s, um, and it was very pro-creator rights, like, you know, defending guys like Kirby, who created most of the Marvel Universe that should own and control the rights to the characters. But Dave was like, publish your own work, own your own work, direct your own work. And I really took that to heart. Me and Peter really took that to heart. And if you look at the similarities between Cerebus and the Turtles, um, Dave had this crazy little aardvark um, drawn like Barry Smith was drawing the Conan comics from the 70s. Um, running around this crazy barbarian, hacking people up, and but if you looked beyond the the next level of what he was doing story-wise, it was a really fantastic story with a great character. And I said to Peter one day, when you know around the time we created the Turtles, was um, man, could you? If he can do it, so can we. <laughs> and so um, we picked literally our favorite things in comics. Um, you know, Daredevil was a, a big thing for me. I was a big fan since I was a kid. Um, New Mutants, um, X-Men, you know, everything we ever read and loved about comic books, we rolled into the Turtles. And the fact that Dave Sim had an animal character, I said to Pete one night when I did the first sketch of the Turtle, I said, wouldn't it be really nutty? Because we were both big Bruce Lee fans. I said, what would be the craziest animal that Bruce Lee would be if he was an animal? Well, duh, a turtle. That makes no sense <laughs> at all. That's the slowest moving thing. And so, um, as I love to say, is uh, Peter and I had a studio in Dover, New Hampshire that we started in 1983, and it was uh, called Mirage Studios because it was a mirage. It was our living room. And uh, and Peter used to watch what I, I called like the, um, the worst TV shows ever. He'd watch... A team and TJ Hooker and all that stuff. And so it was, <laughs> um, so I felt it was my job to annoy him as much as possible while he was watching his favorite shows that we were drawing. And so late one night, um, I did this sketch of uh, Michelangelo, who's the, Michelangelo was the first turtle ever drawn. And, uh, so he had nunchucks strapped to his arms and a mask on. And I kind of threw it on his desk and said, this is going to be the next big thing. Ha ha ha. And of course he thought it was hilarious. And so he did, um, uh, studio one-upmanship. He did a version of his own. I loved it. So I had to top his drawing. So I did this pencil sketch of uh, four turtles, each with different weapons, and it had this Ninja Turtle kind of comic booky logo at the top. And I did it in pencil and gave it to Pete uh, to ink. And when he inked it in, he added Teenage Mutant to it. Um, and we thought it was the funniest, dumbest thing ever. Um, and, and we get up the next day, and because, as I love to say, we didn't have any distracting uh, paying work going on, um, I said, why don't we come up with a story uh, that tells how these characters got to be the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, we'll self-publish it because nobody's going to buy a single copy. Um, and uh, so we scraped together. I had a $500 income tax return. I think we cleaned out all $200 from uh, Pete's bank account. I borrowed $1,000 from my uncle, and we found uh, this local printer in Dover, New Hampshire, that could print 3,000 copies with a two-color cover. And again, we, we printed them in, uh, I think they got shipped to the house in April of 1984. Um, 
and we, we were so sure that we wouldn't get to sell any of these things that we actually used the boxes of books to make furniture. We had like a coffee table and tables and spread around the studio. <clears throat> and then on May 5th, 1984, we premiered the first issue at a very small comic con in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we sold a few copies and then, you know, a couple of weeks later we had a uh, distributor start calling, contacting us and saying, we have all these comic stores. That um, want to buy a comic, and we were like, we had no idea how the direct market worked. We had no idea what we were doing. So, um, surprisingly to us, and I think our parents and my uncle, who I borrowed the money from, that we actually sold out of the first printing in about two weeks. Um, and it just, you know, was fantastic. I mean, that was the coolest thing ever. That we didn't. Well, I missed some of the furniture, but we uh, um, <laughs> we actually sold the first issue out in 1984. Then. Um, um, I used to cook lobsters on the coast of Maine. I grew up in Maine, um, you know, which a lot of Americans think is part of Canada, FYI. Um, but I grew up in uh, Maine, so I went back to summer and I cooked lobsters for the summer. And that fall, we were getting calls from distributors saying, well, when are you guys going to do a second issue? And Pete and I's response was basically, we never thought we'd sell the first issue, so we never thought of a second issue. And so we started in the fall of um, 84, working on the second issue, and it was uh, January of 1985. We got the pre-orders for the first uh, for the second issue, first printing, and it was 15,000 copies. Um, Peter did, you know, uh, some quick calculations on his um, Casio calculator watch, <laughs> and um, we figured out that um, if we did six books a year, we could actually make about $2,000 each pre-tax. We could eat all the macaroni and cheese we want. We could pay our rent, and we could draw comic books for a living. And I always like to say that that literally was when the dream came true for us because we were now able to make a living, pay our rent, move out of our parents' basements and, uh, and, and draw comics for a living. And that was, that was phenomenal. I still, you know, of all the amazing things, and we're talking 30 years of stuff, um, all the amazing things, that still remains one of the highlights. And I got to be a, a I got to be Jack Kirby for, for a little while. And now 30 years later for a long while. So that's sort of the, that's the basic origin of the first issue and the second issue and, and where we got to that point. So. You know, you read about it, um, and I'm sure we all have in uh, fanzines, uh, on the net, and it, it doesn't even match hearing it. Yeah. That's so that's much cooler. Oh, my God. Um, you know what? Let's go out to the audience. I know you guys have questions. That guy in the back, that was a one hell of a lightning hand. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, well, that makes one of us, so it's like, a, I'm like I just wing this stuff. That's a that's a great question actually because you know it's funny when you know I think when Stanley started the kind of the soap opera um, aspect of comic books there was there was in, in it's I know this sounds a little funny but a lot of times the writers were paid by the word <laughs> so a lot of times you'd have um, writers really overwriting a comic book um, you know one for the paycheck but two that was kind of the style at that time um, lots of sound effects lots of you know pow zap thwack you know all the the sound effects and. And uh, I think as comics um, grew up a little bit more, and you see the the um, the crossover with um, other entertainment mediums, movies, and and things like that, I think that a lot of people were inspired by you know um, uh, films that had very few words that could, you could tell a whole story visually. In fact, when we first did the first issue. Um, you know, because I lettered all the stuff, and I can't—I still can't spell very well. Um, but when I lettered all that stuff, um, there just seemed to be like 
to me, all the lettering got in the way of what I wanted to show you as a visual and how I wanted you to move through the story. And as issues went on, I mean, I still, uh, one of my favorite standout issues of the Turtles is, um, of many was, um, we did, uh, this Leonardo one shot, which, um, I proposed to Pete this idea where I wanted this fight that Leonardo was having as he was going through the entire city, trying to get back home while he's fighting all these foot soldiers. And there was a small panel along the bottom of all the pages that Pete did where the other turtles were getting ready for a Christmas, Christmas celebration. But my whole section had no words in the whole thing. And I wanted T-Ball to be able to, um, move you through a story exactly at the pace that I wanted you to move through the visuals and hope that uh, my drawings represented, you know, a, a storytelling, um, um, that was exciting, interesting and easy to follow and, and, and sort of like, you know, you bite your nails a bit, but I, I think it's cool that, um, you know, and I started, um, you know, buying stuff off the spinner rack to having to drive all the way to Boston from Maine to get, uh, underground comic books at, uh, Million Year Picnic, um, or buying heavy metal magazine off the rack. Um, you see sort of that as a foundation and then you see, um, manga sort of coming in as an influence. You see a lot of European influence. You see a lot of American cartoonists growing up and everybody wants to stretch and move and take their ideas to different places and different kinds of storytelling. Um, so it's very diverse. And I think all this world sort of colliding has arrived at, you know, like what I think is a, a very cool method for the new turtle stories that we're doing through IDW where there's, it's, it's, very linear, it's very sparse, and we just give you enough story that makes it interesting to move you to the next page, to the next page, but also tease you for things coming up. The end of the issue, at the, the later of the issue, limited sound effects, um, uh, and it's, to me, it's sort of the perfect blend of where comics have arrived at today, so it's sort of, um, interesting, and, you know, man, it's like, I love that you can walk through this convention and you can see just about a million different kinds of comics from, you know, independent comics, mini comics, you know, highbrow Marvel comics, European comics, um, manga, um, everything sort of crossed over to one place. So it gives people an interesting place to find their own characters and their own love and their own, their own, uh, uh, what they like. <laughs> I'd say you answered that question well. Uh, this gentleman right here. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, one, I appreciate that. It's like, you know, it's, it's funny that, um, um, uh, you know, when I when I first started out, I used to work in a restaurant um, um, went through high school and after high school so that I could actually eat and then still have money to buy markers and buy paints and things like that. Um one of the coolest things that I get to do when I come to these shows is um, a lot of young artists um, uh, um, and writers and, and, and stuff, but mostly artists that come up and they show me their portfolios um, and say, how do I break into the business? And one of the things um, that usually happens right away is, one, I get angry because they're already – they can draw better than me. Um, <laughs> two, I wonder why they can't find a job uh, in this industry because it's a very tough industry. Um, you know, and, and – you know, when Peter and I started self-publishing, um, we had this wonderful thing called the direct market, which is a non-returnable market where you could solicit, you could solicit your books and you'd get three months later, you'd get a, an order for those books. So you could actually find out if you could, before you even went to press, if you'd actually make enough money to cover the cost of making those books. Um, there were 26 distributors, uh, distributing comic books throughout the U.S. and Canada. There's one now. Um, and they, um, I think, you know, Diamond Comics, um, for as good as they are at certain things, I think that they're twice that for doing the most damage to the comic industry is that they 
control the pulse. They control the flow. Um, there are, you know, there's very little, if at all, independent publishing. Um, you know, again, most of the people I see at shows, it's how do I break in? How do I break in? And it's like the same thing I did when I was starting out is like I sent out, you know, I had stacks of rejection letters. Um, you know, when I look back at even the first issue of the turtles and I see how crude the work is, um, and what we did, um, we never, we, got rejected. We never would have got a job working for another company. Um, so we were lucky that we could self-publish. Um, and we found our mark because there was, you know, lots and lots and lots and lots of other people self-publishing that didn't have the luck or success that we did. Um, one of the things I think is interesting today is, you know, um, back in the days when Pete and I started, we didn't have these things. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, I don't think we didn't have fax machines then. Um, but one of the things, the cool things about the internet is, um, although it's a, uh, there's a ton of material out there, it's one way to try to find an audience. Um, and I encourage people to, you know, to go on DeviantArt, to go on, you know, comicsart.org. I encourage them to, to go on blogs and sort of post their work and talk about their work and try to build a following for the work. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's like peeing in the ocean. I mean, which is pretty much what we did with the turtles because it's just as easily could have not worked as it did work. Um, so when I was 21 and the first turtle issue came out, and like I said, when I, we sold the second issue and I was able to draw comic books for a living, that was, uh, absolutely beyond phenomenal. Um, and we think about it constantly and I talk about it. Um, you know, even Peter and I, we did got together for a signing in Dover, New Hampshire. Um, at the uh, comic book store, the guy that we did the first convention in, in 1984 um, to celebrate the 30th anniversary. And we actually went to the house, the location where we, um, which has now been flattened, it's just like a parking lot right now, um, where we actually created the Turtles in. And we, the first thing we talked about um, was how incredibly lucky we were um, because, you know, uh, um, the odds were against us and the fact that it actually happened and we had success and, and we've, you know, we're still here 30 years later talking about the Turtles. It's it's phenomenal. Um, but 10 years is, um, it's for the amount of time you're spending and you're drawing and you're working, it's, it's, um, it's commendable in every aspect. Um, you know, like I said, I was driven from a very young age and you just have to keep fighting. And it's, um, you know, it, it's, again, the success of the turtles speaks volumes for how lucky we were. And I, I count shit luck as one of my best friends. Um, and so, but just keep trying and keep working. And I do that. I tell, um, like, especially the artists, cause I can, you know, certainly relate to, and my wife can relate to, is like I still spend, you know, six, eight, ten hours a day drawing. Um, that's how I make our living. That's how we pay our rent. Um, that's how we, we are able to do all these things. Um, and I tell artists to draw every day. You have to draw every day and, and, you know, um, but if you love it, it's not that bad of a job. And so, but keep trying. And, you know, I remember selling, I had X-Men 94 through 108 that I sold to pay my rent once and that was a bummer. But yeah, so I've, we've been there, but keep trying and, and good luck, man. So. We've got a question from Ehab over there. Yeah, I remembered your name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. That's, that's a great question. You know, uh, the multiple versions of the turtles, um, you know, I guess first and foremost, um, the first, uh, Pete and I, Peter and I only did, uh, 15 issues together. We did issues 1 through 11, then we did the four issue micro series, one on each turtle. And so, um, that was uh, the comics that we, we wrote together. We sat in the same room most of the time and drew together. And so that's always, you know, uh, my favorite, um, all time series for that. And then when we, um, got too busy, started working on the animated shows and some of the other stuff. We worked with a lot of other artists and some of the early, like, Turtles, say, 12 through, you know, say, 
the return to New York into the, the twenties and the thirties. There was just some great artists that, cause that was to us was the first time that we had other artists, um, come in with their own ideas on our characters based on this universe that we, we brought. And they brought in new ideas and cool ideas that we, stuff we hadn't even thought about with the turtles. Like, oh, we never thought to do that. Or, yes, we did. No, uh, we just didn't tell you. No, but we, um, so it was, it was great to see some of those early versions, um, that other artists that did, uh, other artists did of our, of our characters, because that's the first time it happened. When we started working on the animated series, it was very funny because, you know, um, we'd written all the early issues of the Turtles um, just for ourselves. And so, I mean, I think an issue two, one of the Turtles asked April for a beer. You know, we it was edgy or there was um, stuff that was written, again, just, just for ourselves. And we started working on the animated series. It was the first time that we had to write something very much for a specific audience. And we actually honestly didn't really believe it ever sell as a toy or sell as an animated show. We thought it was a really fun idea to explore, um, but we changed some things. Um, uh, we changed the origin a bit. Um, actually, Peter came up with the idea for the different colored bandanas because when I did the first painting of the turtles, I did them with all red bandanas. <laughs> you know, we knew who they were. Just not, you know, we could tell them apart, just not anybody else really could as well. Um, so when we did the animated version of the turtles, it was it was fun to um, try to write for a specific, much younger audience and. The cool part was, um, is that we had full control of our characters and we, we worked on all the writing, uh, we worked on all the, we designed half the characters, we designed, we worked with the animation studio hand in hand. And because we owned and controlled the characters, we had full approval over every aspect of the animated show. So we worked on, ended up working on 300 episodes of the animated show. Um, the movies, the same thing. And I guess in the early days, if I had to pick, you know, comics-wise, it was the original series that Pete and I did. Um, and then once the animated series was launched, to me, the ultimate, um, I guess, multi-entertainment uh, Turtles version I've ever enjoyed the most was the first Turtles movie. Um, Steve Barron came in and he had gone through some of the early comic books that Peter and I had done and he sort of marked pages and things and bits of story from, you know, parts of issue one and two and then Leonardo uh, issue 10 and 11. And he had put together this whole story and he said, this is, this is the turtle story I want to tell. And it was, it was to us, it was perfect. Um, and he brought Todd Langdon in as a writer uh, and then the incredible Jim Henson to, to bring the turtles to life, which was, you know, mind blowing. I still remember, I love one of my favorite stories of, the first time we went to the turtle set was um, they were shooting down in North Carolina. So you sort of show up at the studio and you're walking out to the back lot. And the back of the back lot looks like, you know, a construction site. It's all staging and scaffolding and all that stuff. And you literally walk around this corner and there's New York City fully lit. You know, the, the pavement's wet. There's foot soldiers running around. There's lighting guys. There's this stuff. There's this Steve Barron, this director, standing in the middle trying to control everything. We kind of came around this other corner and there were four turtles in full costume. Michelangelo had a sombrero on and they're exercising. They're stretching in their full costumes. And we just – it dropped us dead in our tracks because they say, oh, my God, this this is actually going to work because if – the turtles look like cheesy rubber suit guys. It just wouldn't wouldn't have worked to this thing. Um, but that by far is, um, I guess, my favorite um, turtles movie. My favorite version of the turtles. But we've enjoyed all of them from the 2007 animated series that um, uh, was done, which was fantastic. The different animated series. Um, but right now, I'd say um, the new turtles animated show is absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I, I love it. Um, Ciro Neely is the executive producer of the show. He grew up in a, um, Philadelphia. His father owned a pizza shop. Um, 
So he was that kid that dragged his, his mother, made, you know, dragged his mother to all the turtle movies, watched the turtle cartoons, had all the turtle toys. Um, and I'd been friends with Cyril before he got the series. And when I met with him after he got the series, he basically said, I'm going to pick my favorite parts of all the turtle universes, the original black and white series. And you go to the animation studio and he had every single black and white issue that we did all pasted up around the wall. And that's what he, how he educated his storyboard guys and his writing guys. But then he picked his favorite parts of the animated series, his favorite parts of the movies, um, and that's what he put into this blender. And I like to say he sort of hit the reset button because, like, in the first episode is the first time the turtles come out of the sewer and discover pizza and that stuff. And you look at each one of the episodes they've done, he always pulls from all the different turtle universes and, and, and tells some really, some really very funny stories and some very exciting stories. And the most important turtle episode ever done was the Ice Cream Kitty episode. Did you guys see that? That's by far the best. <laughs> I'm kidding. I was a. Um, I love all the stories, but it was Ciro was uh, always said that I'd love you to do a voice of um, uh, a character in a turtles cartoon. And I used to joke with him. I said, well, if I do a voice, um, I want to do something like George Clooney did in South Park. And he was the dog. And so Courtney and I were at Comic Con last year, and they were showing a preview of different characters they developed, and they put up um, Ice Cream Kitty, and I was like, that's it. <laughs> I want that. I want Ice Cream Kitty. I want to be Ice Cream Kitty. And uh, he's like, yeah, no, no, seriously, we want to get a good character for you. I said, no, I want to be Ice Cream Kitty. <laughs> Just so I can wear a T-shirt that says, I am Ice Cream Kitty, and Courtney can wear one that says, I'm with Ice Cream Kitty. Um, so that was a lot of fun. But, no, I think the new animated series um, is absolutely fantastic. And then to babble on a bit more, um, I'm having so much fun. I'm coming up on the third year that I worked on the new IDW series. And uh, Tom Waltz and the team at IDW have just done a fantastic job. Very similar to what Ciro did is um, they picked their favorite parts. Tom picked his favorite parts of the original comics, the original movies, and, and you know, Terry picked characters and storylines that he liked. Um, and we sort of revamped it into this new foundation that um, just gives an excellent, excellent platform to tell some pretty amazing stories. So we are having a blast, and hopefully um, – over the next two weeks, I'll finish a, the next Turtles 48-page annual that I've been working on for about seven months. I'm a little behind on but it's the 30th anniversary year, so we're doing lots of really fun stuff. But um, So the IDW series, the new animated series, um, and we'll talk about the Michael Bay movie in a minute, I'm sure. Uh, I have no doubt. <laughs> Back there. What was that? You said New York is the homeland? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, um... Great question, by the way. No, the uh, um, what's really funny is uh, when he did the first couple issues of the Turtles. Um, I'd never been to New York City, ever. Uh, I knew uh, absolutely nothing about martial arts. Um, I remember doing this interview once, and and this this person doing the interview said, "Oh, I love your gritty feel of New York City. You must have like lived there for a while, and you must be a black belt." It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No. Um, and that was funny because it was like every, you know, to me it was like every cool superhero story from the stuff that we were reading growing up was all set in New York City, whether it was called uh, Metropolis or called Gotham. It was all looked a lot like uh, looked a lot like New York City. And so we figured that the Turtles had to be in New York City. And then um, especially as we kind of um, use part of the Daredevil origin story as part of the Turtles origin story. I don't know if you guys know that as uh, I grew up as a huge fan of Daredevil and – and uh, as we kind of were putting together the origin of the turtles, when you know 
this blind man steps in front of a truck, just happens to be hauling radioactive waste through the middle of New York City. Um, young Matt Murdock jumps out and, and pushes the blind man out of the way. And when the truck puts on its brakes, this canister <laughs> comes loose and bounces down the street and hits him near the eyes and takes away his sight, which he becomes Daredevil. But to me, they never said what happened to the canister after it hit Daredevil near the eyes. So I just had to continue bouncing down the street in this poor young man was standing with a bowl of uh, an aquarium full of turtles right near a sewer grate um, and that smashed the, the bowl of turtles broken over the canister and they all fell into the sewer where there just happened to be this rat hanging out and that's that's sort of that's where we <laughs> came up with the with the origin story and even like with uh, Frank Miller had this um, great series of ninjas called um, uh, the, the Hand and we have the Foot um, um Daredevil's mentor, mentor was a guy called Stick. We have Splinter. Um, you see where it's going. Um, so we had a lot of fun uh, with that. And so New York City seemed to be the perfect place for that. And then I worked, um, I mentioned I worked in a restaurant when I was younger and through, all through high school. So I could eat was, uh, I still had money to buy art supplies. I worked at a pizza place. You know, I ate a lot of pizza. <laughs> so that's where both those came from. Good question. Young lady. Oh man, it's like it's picking one. It's like picking one of your favorite kids. It's very hard because I love them all. Um, uh, Michelangelo was the first turtle ever drawn, um, so I'm very fond of him. He's he was the the main inspiration, and and I always loved him as a character, especially in the new series. Um, we're friends with the the guy that does the voice of Michelangelo, Gregory Michael Sipes. Um, and the funniest thing is, like, he really is Michelangelo in real life. I mean, he does martial arts. He talks like Michelangelo. He acts like Michelangelo. He's a total – he didn't really have to act much to do Michelangelo in the new series, and we love him. Um, but I love them all, but it was – I guess if I – you know, out of all the stories that I've done with the Turtles, one of my favorite characters to write is uh, Raphael. Um is I guess because you know Leonardo's the leader and he's very structured and you know tries to remain you know very honorable and more samurai like and Donatello's so much kind of the geek and he's sort of got his own isms and the things the important things that he brings to the group Michelangelo's the humor but Raphael's always sort of the wild card so whenever I want to do a story where I can push one of the turtles to places I wouldn't normally um, I tend to gravitate towards Raphael as a story and usually team him up with Casey Jones because they're they're perfect retards together. <laughs> they're like, you know, they're like they're like brothers, and so they 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 end up punching each other up as much as they end up dealing with bad guys. But that's a good question. Thank you very much. Red Ranger. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, we uh, actually um, when the when the new movie came, and, I, and just to address the, I, I know there's a bunch of concern about the the movie, the look of the turtles. You know, we've, to us at the same time, there's been so many different versions of the turtles that we've done, but that we've done over the years, from the comics to the animation to the, the different shows. Um, when I was first approached by Michael Bay and the director Jonathan Leavesman to consult on the script and, and work on some designs, and and you know, the conversations are very real and very. Um, important and very structured because, you know, we'd all seen, you know, Avengers and it's, and, and that was one of the things that I brought up. I said to me, I mean, those are comic characters that I grew up on. And to me, the Avengers, you know, was the perfect superhero movie. I mean, not only because Captain America was one of my favorites, that was an amazing movie. Thor was amazing. And, um, and I said, if you take away some of the key components to what the fans love the most about the characters, you're going to be in, in real trouble. 
Um, and so we talked a lot about the origin. Um, there was that oops about the, the turtles being aliens, which it was, it was kind of more confusion that the studio fed off because the turtles origins that the ooze was always an alien substance and that's what turned him into that. So I think when Michael Bay mentioned that they're going to be aliens, it was, he wasn't fully up to speed on all the things that we've been doing. Um, but I think the studio actually loved the controversy more than, than the reality. Um, but, you know, and sitting with Jonathan Leesman, he said, you know, look, the, the, the fans of this kind of movie, they're used to seeing martial arts like we've seen in The Matrix. They're used to seeing martial arts like we've seen in like Raid Redemption and, and some of these fantastic, um, martial artists from, from Hong Kong and, and, you know, Jet Li and, you know, Fist of, Fist of Legend is one of my favorite all time martial arts movies. So we had to combine, you know, a great story, uh, a relaunch of the characters and great martial arts. Um, and they wanted to design a new look that was their own. Um, we've seen a lot more of the material. We've seen the story. And I think that, and I'm actually, I'm hoping that once you guys see it, that you'll, you'll, you'll find it as cool as we found it. So, but it's, you know, I still think about the first shot that they showed of the turtles in the new costume and somebody replaced one of the turtles heads with Shrek's and put donkey behind him. <laughs> a little disconcerting, but um, now once I see, I think you see him moving around and interacting together. I hope you hope you like it, and uh, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be there's some stuff in there that's that's really insane and very very cool. It's going to be the turtles. I think you've you've grown to know and love. So, and the most important part of the entire movie is my cameo at the end. So, and I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but I've got a cameo, and it's really cool. So. And the really nice thing is that turtles were before Shrek, so you can sue Disney now. How do you call our lawyer? <laughs> right back there. Great question. Um, <clears throat> when um, when Pete and I came up with the, you know, when we developed the origin story of the turtles, the names were um, probably the toughest part. Um, because, you know, our first inclination was like, well, let's name them, you know, um, you know, traditional Asian names, um, you know, based off some of our heroes. And we said, well, we're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So that it's got to be stupider. It's going to be dumber. <laughs> um, and so we started saying, well, you know, Bob, Doug, Steve, is that really funny? No, no, that's not funny. Um, but when, <laughs> when I was in high school and, um, I was, I love history. I love, uh, art history especially. And one of my final paintings I did when I graduated in 1980 from, from, from high school was, um, this wall mural of my, um, uh, my tribute to Leonardo da Vinci. I just love that this guy was a, a sculptor, an artist, an inventor. And I love that whole Renaissance time period. And so when we, Peter, were bantering back and forth, and I said, why do we name them after Renaissance artists like Leonardo and Michelangelo? And it was like, yes, that's it. Um, so Leonardo was easy. Michelangelo was, was an obvious second. Raphael, which was one of Michelangelo's apprentices, was one of my favorite, um, Renaissance artists. And Donatella was almost named, uh, Bernini because I love, <laughs> cause I, I love Bernini as a sculptor. Um, he's one of my favorites. And P suggested, well, you know, how about another one with an O? And Donatello was a little bit later in that time period, but a, a contemporary. And so Donatello worked very well. So that's, and that just fit. It was one of those, you don't know it till you see it. And once you see it, that, that's what seemed to fit the best. Oh, I'm sorry. This gentleman sounds so retarded. No, that was great. <laughs> but it's funny. Everyone loved it. You said it yourself. That's your favorite. Uh, now, why would you 
chain, rubber suits, perfect rubber suits. I understand Jim Henson, legendary. Why would you go to the CGI? I know you can do a lot with a lot of people hate it. And I know that's where the market is. I don't think it'll be, because I'm in the film industry, I know, and I don't think it's going to be as successful as it could be with the rubber suits. That's just my opinion, because sure. I love the uh, practical effects. Same goes <laughs> towards practical to CGI, and I think it's it's sinking downhill, but it could, that's my question. Why would you? It's a, it's a great question, and actually, it was something that um, we honestly there was discussed for months and months and months and months. We actually we um, uh, I went with uh, with Jonathan Leavesman. We went over to uh, um, meet with the uh, the folks at the Henson's Creature Shop about doing um, something similar to the, what um, Brian and his guys had done with um, um, the uh, uh, what was the uh, with wild things are, which was um, part practical suits and then part CG to enhance the mouth movements and that kind of stuff. And so they actually had seriously looked in it for, into it for a long time of like, what's the best rubber suit? What's the best look we could get um, for the effects? Um, can we still get the martial arts um, uh, abilities and, and 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 be able to do some of the technical stuff that they wanted to do for for shots and things like that? And I think ultimately it comes it came down to um, a cost um, and also story is that um you know cg has gotten so inexpensive and you know we've seen it work with great effect in some movies we've seen it work to lesser effect in other movies so ultimately it came down to uh you know time production and um that was what they felt that we get the best the best look because it was you know the idea to make the turtles a little bit bigger in size and some of the other things they were doing it started to become more cumbersome to find the right actor that could do you know some of the effects, but I tell you, it's, it, it was tough. And, uh, cause we looked at, um, you know, just, you know, spent time with, uh, like I said, with Brian Henson. And when you'd see, um, you know, this, this, um, four and a half foot, five foot martial artist wearing an 80 pound suit do multiple backflips across the back lot was just mind blowing. It's like, I, you know, I could fall down and roll that far, maybe. But, um, what these guys could do in those rubber suits was phenomenal. And actually, even Jim Henson's, um, what they developed as technology. I mean, 90% of what they developed um, to make those uh, the turtles talk and move and the eyes move was developed just for the for the turtles. It was it was just a phenomenal phenomenal advancement in, in, in special effects for that kind of stuff that they use in dinosaurs and many other shows later. But even like the Henson, like the Muppet movies, even now half the stuff they're doing is all CG as well. There's some practical and some whatever. So um, hopefully it'll hopefully it'll look good in the end. But Right. You know, it, it does, but it's like, you know, it's one of those things that it's tough. It's, you can see, you know, like the, with a, with a, with a rubber suit or, or an actor wearing a rubber suit and doing that stuff. Sometimes, you know, you see like the, when the eye doesn't move right or thing is just a little off, it sort of takes the whole suspension of fantasy away from it. And the same goes for, um, bad CG. If the CG doesn't work just exactly right, it's going to take you out of that, that place. So I think it got down, it got to be down to, um, you know, the director making the decision. It's like, I can get the best look and the most feel. And because again, if you, if you're watching the movie, you don't believe that they're real and they're working, then, then we lose everybody. So, um, you know, from what we've seen and, uh, you know, I've loved what I've seen so far and I've seen probably, you know, um, maybe 10, 12% of the movie so far. So I think that we're looking forward to seeing the next round. So, so knock on wood. <laughs> and to be fair to George Lucas, he does a backstroke in a swimming pool full of money. So, I mean, you know, yeah, of course. 
This gentleman over here, who I falsely called before. <laughs> it's a great question, and um, you know, it's funny. The other story I like to tell a lot at these panels is um, when uh, you know we did the comic. We never thought anybody about the comic, um, and then that had some some success. We did the role playing games, and that had success. And then we started developing the uh, the animated show and the toys. And I remember it was like we worked on, I think about a year um, on the first five episodes, which came out between uh, Christmas '87 uh, and you know New Year's 1988. It was the first, the first five shows, and that was a big thing because if that show didn't work, that would probably have all been the that there was for for turtle cartoons. And it was a moment that when we got the TV guide and we saw our show listed, it was like. Whoa! This is this is Keanu Reeves. Whoa! Um, but it was uh, like this is really going to happen, and let's let's hope it goes great. And we told all of our friends and family, and 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 the, sh- the ratings were were very successful. So the animation studio immediately greenlit another eight episodes in January. So we'd have thirteen episodes that fall of 1988. And so based on the success of the 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 first uh, five episodes, the toy company greenlit the production of the toys. Um, and so in June of 88, the first toys came out. And there's another moment besides the TV guide moment that we're, uh, for us in New England, we lived in Massachusetts. The big toy store chain was KB Toys. And so the closest one was down in Springfield. So we heard the toys are out and on the shelf. So Peter and I, you know, jumped in his Vega and drove down to, um, drove down to KB Toys. And we're sort of walking through the store, going into the action figure aisle. This mother's dragging this, you know, seven, eight, nine year old boy out of the, out of the aisle saying, no, I'm not buying you one of those stupid Ninja Turtles. Um, and, and, and Peter and I were like, what have we done? Oh, no. Holy shit. Um, and so it's moments like that. And then almost from that time, um, you know, once you're sort of going through it, because we went from, you know, guys self-publishing the independent comic book to, you know, 1989, 1990. We had like the number one cartoon show and we had, um, um, uh, the best selling toy line and we were, we had a movie that was like a, a huge hit. But we were, because we owned and created our characters, we created our characters and owned our characters, we ran every aspect of the business. And I always like to say that when, you know, in 1988, we were still drawing 90% of the time and spending 10% of our time doing the business. Um, the next year it flipped completely. We were now spending 90% of our time managing the business and, and working on the cartoon shows and all the things that we wanted to control with our characters and 10% of our time actually drawing the comic books. So once you're in that mode and things are going, it's like you sort of can't see the forest of the trees and so every once in a while you know you have a few moments like the kb thing or um the uh the tv guide thing <laughs> it just blows my mind it's funny we were my wife and i were to show and our son shane is um he's doing turtle sketches um and he like we try to bring him with us as much as we could and so we're sitting there and i'm doing my sketches he's doing his sketches courtney's doing her stuff and he sees this line of people and he's like Dad, are you famous or something? <laughs> like, what are all these people doing in line? Because um, as far as he's concerned, um, I don't have a real job. He has to go to school. Um, but, you know, I get to stay home and draw turtles all day. So and that was one another moment that I thought was pretty, like, you know, kind of crazy. Are you famous or something? No, no. Go to bed. This gentleman? Well, thank you. No, it was, uh, what was cool about that was, um, you know, we grew up, um, again, Peter and I grew up reading comic books where you'd have 
you know, Bill Everett drawing Daredevil, then you'd have Wally Wood drawing Daredevil, then you'd have Gene Collin drawing Daredevil, and then you'd have so you always had different creative teams coming in and out, coming in and out from you know X Men, Avengers, and and all that stuff. We some were better than others, um, and so the idea of having other artists interpret your work wasn't wasn't kind of a new concept. But what we liked was um, everybody that came in, they pitched us an idea for a Turtle Story that they had, and then Pete and I would talk about it. Um, um, occasionally make notes, but usually it was. Um, something that we, they had enough there that we, we kind of let them go. Um, but then, you know, like the Bodhi story was really fun because I was a huge fan of Von Bodhi growing up. And so when Mark pitched me the idea, he grasped immediately on the Bruce Lee aspect. And so we did this Bruce Lee sort of style story and we got to do the shell of the dragon. Not only did they want Mark to pencil it, I wanted to ink it as well. And so me and Eric Talbot inked it and it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, with a lot of different artists, they would come to us an idea and we sort of let them go. And others, um, you know, like, um, yeah, Richard Corbin is probably one of my favorites. That was one of my other highlights was I penciled the four page story that he, he inked for me and I sort framed it in the house. But, um, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty exciting. It was great to see what other people saw in your characters and it surprised us a lot of times and more than not. So it was neat to see that, what they had, what they saw. No, that's awesome. I had no idea. It's <laughs> really fantastic because that was always, um, especially in the early days, it was, you know, we'd get lots of fan letters and stuff, and it was neat to, when we'd get a letter from a, uh, a young person that said, you know, um, I got a gold star in class today because, um, you know, something about artists and Renaissance came up, and I named, you know, Leonardo Michelangelo and whatever as Renaissance artists. I, I, I didn't tell my teacher they were Ninja Turtles, <laughs> but, uh, but no, that's really cool. I want to, I definitely want to check that out. That sounds really neat. So that's a TV guide moment? Another TV guide moment. Another TV guide moment. <laughs> Lots of TV guide moments in my life. That's freak. That's awesome. Oh, we have to check that out. I want to see that right away. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. This gentleman. Great, great question. That was actually um, when when uh, um, I've been uh, friends with 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 Ted 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 Adams, one of the founders of IDW. For years, 20 years. And, um, when they had got the rights to do the new Turtles, um, comic series, um, uh, he called me almost immediately and said, listen, we're, we're, we're doing some pretty cool things. We're doing some things that I'm pretty concerned about and we're doing, um, you know, I'd love to get you involved in the series. Do you want to, you know, can I get you at least agree to some covers and, and do some stuff? Would you like to come down and meet with the guys and see what we had in mind? Um, and that's when I met the incredible Tom Waltz. Um, and Tom, um, really, had some very specific things that he wanted to do with the story. Um, and it was one of those, uh, some of the ideas, you know, like April naming the turtles, um, to, uh, you know, Raphael being separated, um, from the thing to, um, uh, the reincarnation aspect. It was, you know, I said, those are all red flags and they scared the shit out of me. But at the same time, um, I got really excited because I said, you know, cause it was much more than just like, we're just going to change this for the sake of changing it. Um, it was well thought out as sort of, you know, we'd like to start it here. We'd like to take it there. And this is where we'd like to go with it. Um, and they just kind of had sketched it in a broad outline that, um, uh, Nickelodeon had approved. But what was the coolest part was Nickelodeon said, we want you guys to make this your own. We want it to be edgy. You know, we want it to be, we want to have the, the attitude and the tone of the original black and white series. Um, you know, very hard edge stuff. Some, you know, Casey's dad being an alcoholic and abusive dad to, you know, just some of the, the mute stuff and even, you know, the stuff we were able to do with the, with the shredder was very much written and intended for an older audience. And I felt that, if we um, spun it right, that's why I worked on the four layouts for the first four issues and, and have been part of the, the series. But it was a huge risk because 
man, much like, you know, even when the first, um, the new animated series came out from Nickelodeon, we just got scores of letters. We're like, oh, we hate it. They look like cardboard. This, you know, it doesn't work. It's, uh, and now it's like, it's, it, it, people have really embraced it once they sort of see it moving and see the mechanics working. And the same with the IDW series. I think it's just once you start getting into the flow because the tone is great. The pace is great. Um, again, we're, um, able to pick from multiple turtle universes and sort of pull them into so we can pull from like making the tr- neutrinos, you know, freedom fighters fighting the Krang and, and this off world war and doing those kinds of things that, um, it gives us a platform to be really creative and tell some, some pretty, some pretty fun stories. But yeah, we were, we were pretty nervous <laughs> for a while. And, uh, and thankfully, you know, I'm going to turn the blame on all you guys for embracing it and enjoying it and, 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 and getting a kick out of it. Cause we're, we're having a good time and I hope it shows in the issues because we're really digging it. So, thanks. So shame on you all. Everyone. <laughs> you. Thanks for uh, giving me such an awesome job. You bums. <laughs> Unfortunately, I hate to break up this party, this turtles party, but uh, we do have to vacate the room. Uh, they're fumigating in here. I'm kidding. They're not. They're going to send some wrestlers in to I, check I think us out. So, to, to kick us out. But uh, Kevin is going to be down on the autograph floor, so go and bother the hell out of them. Yeah, I think we have a short break, so we'll be down, what, at 2 o'clock? Um, so an hour we'll be down over there. I want to thank you all for showing uh, up. Thank, thank you, Kevin, Kevin Eastman. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>